Well, good morning, church. Y'all doing all right this morning? Let's do a little bit better than that. Good morning, church. How are we doing? Nine o'clock. Y'all doing all right this morning? Awesome. Good to see you. Good to be in church today. Uh, if you're a first-time guest, I want to say a special welcome uh, to you. Welcome to Connection Church. My name is Blake. Uh, I get the privilege to be one of the pastors at our Vidalia campus, so Connection Church. Vidalia, I help with student ministry there. And man, so thankful just to be able to come here uh, this morning and, and speak to you this morning. I love this church. I love the staff here. love your pastor. Uh, he's left a mark on me, probably bigger than what he realizes. And so, man, I'm just excited to be here. Galatians chapter 2. Go ahead, grab your Bibles. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get going. Father, we just love you. God, we thank you for the name. God, the name above every name, the name of Jesus. God, we thank you for grace and that grace is enough. And God, we thank you that we had the freedom to worship you. And God, we thank you for what you do in our lives. Grace is enough. We love you. We love your son. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I get the opportunity to preach on grace this morning. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Uh, I met grace in 2013. Grace has a name. His name is Jesus. This morning, uh, I want to turn to a passage I call a gospelicious passage. It's, the gospel is all over this thing. It's a big grace passage. Galatians 2 verse 11 says this, When Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, Paul says, I opposed him to his face. Paul got in his face. Because he stood condemned, for before certain men came from James, Peter used to eat with Gentiles. God said, don't call him clean what I call clean. And he sent Peter to the Gentiles. He was to reach the Gentiles, because that's what grace does. It sends us out. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group, some Jews. He started playing favorites. And then other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. So by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Paul says, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, because the gospel drives how we live. And he was not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. He said, I said to Cephas in front of them all. Good old church fight right here. You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How is it that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? The gospel draws us out of something and calls us up into something. And you're not acting in line with grace. And he, we who are Jews by birth are not sinful Gentiles. Know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ that we might be justified, justified, justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will ever be justified. Nobody in here, including me, has kept one commandment, let alone all ten. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners... Doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. Grace doesn't give us a license to live how we want, but it gives us desires to obey. Verse 18, if I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. 
for through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I'm living in grace now. I'm living in grace now. I'm living in grace now. Here's my life verse right here. You should circle this, highlight this, put a star beside it. Uh, man, you should just mark it up. Galatians 2, verse 20 and 21. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body on earth, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for who? For me. I do not set aside grace. I do not set aside grace. I do not set aside grace for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. If I had 30 minutes before I died to talk about grace, here's what I would talk about. I would share five truths. I want to share those five truths with you this morning. Truth number one, climbing ladders won't get you into heaven. Climbing ladders will not get you into heaven. Verse 16, know that a person's not justified by works of the law, by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. We live in a world of climbing ladders. We live in a world where if you want to be great, it's all about you and what you can do. And it's all about your performance. If you want it, go get it. If you want it, you do it. The world says work for it. You want to make the job, you got to work for it. You want the raise, you better work for it. You want a good education, you better work for it. You want to make the all-star team, you better work for it. Everything is about what you do. It starts with you and it ends with you. This is not the gospel. It's not the gospel. The gospel says, listen, it's not about you and your performance. It's about Jesus and his performance. The gospel says Jesus is the ladder, so we must decrease. He must increase in our lives. You want to get saved? Jesus. You want to fight sin? Jesus. You want a good marriage? Jesus. Because I love my wife the best when I love Jesus the most. It's grace in our life. It's all about Jesus. It begins with him, and it ends with him. On the count of three, say Jesus. One, two, three. Here's where we are. Listen, write this down. A, we're in a dead condition. That's the condition we're dead. This is how Jesus finds us. This is how Jesus finds us because this is what we're born into. I'll never forget when my son was born. I heard him coming out the womb crying. He came out crying. Three minutes later, he was crying. Three hours later, he was crying. About three years later, he was crying. He's almost seven, he's still crying. Finally, the nurse came and felt bad for me and Brandy, she came and got him and took him out of the room. I got about an hour of sleep. And then we heard something coming down the hall, crying. My wife said, is that Easton? I said, God, I hope not. <laughs> Doctor, do y'all, I don't know, y'all do any trade-ins? Is there any Hispanic babies, black babies? Can we work something out here? Not really, but listen to me. I never one time had to teach him how to sin. Not one time, never, no. 
He came out the womb worshiping himself. We're worshipers and so are you. We're a bit, we are born with a heart bent towards sin. And one sin against the holy God deserves eternal punishment. That's why we can't fix ourselves dead. You can't climb the ladder to heaven because dead people can't climb. And this is the why behind the what. I understand people are dead in sin. That's how I survive youth ministry. Some of these kids are crazy. People say, Blake, I don't know how you do it with this generation. This generation is no more depraved than your generation. We're dead. We're dead. And this climbing ladders does not bring life. Listen to me. It's exhausting because it starts with you and ends with you. It's powerless. It does not create a heart that loves and adores Jesus. It's a broken system. And it will not produce a heart that loves Jesus. We're dead. What we need is grace. Be a great compassion. Write this down. A great combat compassion. Grace has a name. His name is Jesus. And we serve a generous, giving God who gives grace gifts. Anybody like good food? God. Anybody like good drink? God. Anybody like good sex? God. Anybody like good relationships? God, he has given us grace, grace, grace gifts, grace gifts. And what did we do? Romans 1.25, we worship the creation over the creator. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. But then at that moment, God moves toward us, not from us. And he sends another grace gift. Grace has a name. His name is Jesus. It's not you going up the ladder. God comes down the ladder. You're not going to heaven. Heaven came to you. It's in the middle of the day. Jesus is on top of a mountain. Sermon on the Mount. And he's preaching a sermon. One of the longest sermons ever. So if I go over two minutes, it's going to be okay. Jesus went over by a lot. It's the best sermon ever, the Word of God preaching the Word. I don't see anyone get saved. I don't see any repentance. I don't see any people taking next steps. Nobody signed up for heart and soul. Nothing happens. But something is going on at the bottom of this ladder while Jesus is on the mountain. Grace is at work down here. Because in Matthew chapter 8, there's a leper. He knows what tears is like. He don't have no friends. He don't have a wife. He's an outcast. He's dirty. He's unclean. He lives on the outside of the city. Everywhere he goes, he says, unclean, 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 no hope, no help, walking dead, he's dead. He knows what tears is like, but he heard about a man named Jesus. And tears turn to trust. And he's at the bottom of this mountain waiting on Jesus to come down. He doesn't want Jesus to get by. He doesn't want Jesus to get by. He doesn't want Jesus to get by. And Jesus comes down. Tears turn to trust. And then Jesus comes to him and he looks at Jesus in the face and he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. If you want to make me clean, I know that you can. And Jesus looks at him 
and he touches him and he says, I want to be clean. Tears turn to trust, trust comes, and then it turns to a touch and his life is changed immediately, he's free. Immediately, he's clean. That is what grace does. It's freeing because it starts with God and it ends with God. Listen to me. That's what grace does in your life. He comes down and he hits you and meets you where you are and changes you in your dirtiest moments in life. A dead condition, a great compassion named Jesus. See, a new creation. Keyword, new, new, new. It's in the middle of the night, everybody's asleep. And then it happens, a Pharisee finds Jesus. His name's Nicodemus, we'll call him Big Nick. Big Nick walks up, he says, Jesus, something is different about you. You took a corn dog and you fed half the city. You told a dead man to get up and walk, and he did it. And Jesus looks at him dead in his soul and says, you got to be born again. Hey, Jesus, man, I know your works are awesome. We know that God must be with you. Nicodemus, you're not going to heaven. And it sounds so rude, doesn't it? It sounds like Jesus is being rude to him, but Jesus isn't being rude to him. Jesus is loving him because Jesus knows Nicodemus for his whole entire life, he's been trying to climb ladders and it ain't working. And he meets him right where he is. He says, flesh doesn't give birth to flesh. Flesh gives birth to flesh. The spirit gives birth to the spirit. You can't fight the flesh with flesh. You can't beat sin with sin. You can't fight cancer with cancer. On your own, apart from Jesus, your best work to climb a ladder is rooted in sin itself, self-righteousness. Stop it. You'll never, it's never going to work. My best work on my best day is like filthy rags in the face of a holy God. Jesus saw the best in me, and then he had to go die to forgive me for it. Listen, you need new birth. And birth is an inward work that produces outward fruit. Conception happens in the womb, it's on the inside, it's on the inside, and then it gives birth and produces fruit on the outside. This is the Spirit's work in your life. The Holy Spirit is a creator, God, part of the Trinity. Here's what happens. God said, let it be light, light. Spirit did it. God said, let it be land, land. Spirit did it. When Jesus said, turn water into wine, Spirit did it. He's a creator. And that Spirit was what gives you a new heart in your life. You're born into the flesh by Adam. You're born into the Spirit by Jesus. Write it down big, write it down straight, write it down plain. You're not, if you're not born again, you're not going to heaven. It's like a caterpillar who goes into a cocoon and something happens in there. Something happens in there and then he comes out a butterfly, not even the same. A new creation, a new creature. That's what happens in your life. What would change every day in your life if you believe this truth? Everything would change. How you parent your kids would change. Your kids are dead, you know. They need grace, parents, tools of grace. How you act in your marriage would change. Your spouse is not waking up wondering, how can I piss my wife off today? It's not what's going on. 
It's sin in their heart. They need grace. What you place your hopes in would change. You'd place all hopes in Jesus, all hopes in Jesus. I wouldn't bank on the best five minutes of my life to get me into heaven. And you would grow in humility. You'd notice your own sin before you notice other people's sin. And you would rest in grace and you'd have assurance in your life. Truth number one, climbing ladders won't get you into heaven. Truth number two, grace is the foundation you live life out of. Verse 21 says, I do not set aside the grace of God. I don't set it aside. I don't set it aside. I don't set it aside. And and listen, Peter set it aside. He forgot about grace. He forgot about the gospel, and that led to wrong thinking. Forgetfulness leads to wrong thinking. Wrong thinking leads to wrong living. When did you start thinking and forgetting that you didn't need grace in your life? When did you start thinking you had this under control? Grace saves us, but that's not all it does. A, grace sanctifies us. You don't grow beyond grace. You grow deeper into grace. What's amazing to me in my eight years of being saved, here's what I see. I see people get saved by grace, and they know they need Jesus. But somewhere along the way, they start to forget who they are outside of Christ, who they are in Christ. They're recipients of grace, and they forget, and they start trying to live this life in their own power. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know I needed grace to save me, but now, now I got to do better. Now I got to do this. Now I got to do that. You don't got to do anything. You get to do everything and stop working for what you already have in Jesus. And there's this battle and they forget that grace is the answer for everything. Grace is how we live the Christian life. It's how we find our purpose because who we are drives what we do. And we're recipients of grace. You've always been a recipient of another man's performance. Every single, since you were born. Adam performed for you and he failed in a garden. You received that. Where Adam fell in a garden, Jesus won in a garden. And when you put faith in him, you receive that. Now when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees his son. That's why God doesn't love the sinner, hate the sin. Because when you put your faith in Christ, you ain't a sinner anymore. You may still sin, but your identity changes and you're a saint now. Welcome to the family. And when he looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees his son. And that's what you live out of. A relationship with Jesus. Listen to me. Listen to what God says about who you are in Christ. John 1, 2. He gave you the right to become a children of God. He gave you the right. You got the right to be a child of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. In Christ, you're a new creation. Philippians 3, 20. Your citizenship's in heaven. Your passport may say America, but God's word overrides your passport. 1 Peter 2.9, you're chosen, you're royal, you're holy, a special possession. Ephesians 2.10, we're God's handiwork to be his representatives here on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus doesn't save you by grace for you to do life without it. It's how we do everything. Grace is how you fight sin. Because the key to a strong no is a better yes. And Jesus is better. Grace has a name. His name is Jesus. You don't fight sin by focusing on sin. You fight sin by focusing on Christ. It's how you love one another. Because when you experience grace, you become like grace. 
and you love the way Jesus loved you. It's how you grow in the image of Jesus. You go deeper in God when you grow deeper in grace. It's like a baby learning to walk. They get up, they go, they fall. They get up, they go, they fall. And it's the falls that teach them. It's the falls that teach them. And it's these little moments of grace that grows you in your relationship with Jesus. It's little moments when you sin, but grace is there. Then you fall again, grace is there. You mess up again, grace is there. You go through a trial, one of the hardest trials of your life, but grace is there. And it's them little moments that press you into Jesus more than anything else and make you become like him. The closer you get to God, the more grace you're going to need. Listen to me. It's how we find forgiveness and fight condemnation. Because when Satan points out my sin, I point to the cross and I point him to his future. And I tell him that man's dead. That man's dead. I'm a new creation in Christ. It's how you find joy in the midst of pain and sorrow. Because no matter what you ever go through in life, In that moment, you know that God's in the same place then as he was when his son was hanging on a cross. And no matter what this world can take from you, it can't take away Jesus because he left that grave empty. It sanctifies us. B, not just that, grace satisfies us. It's the most satisfying thing in the world. It's what you long for. It's expensive, not cheap. He says this, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live in faith by the Son of God. Listen to this. Who gave himself. He gave himself for who? For me. When did he give himself for you? Is it when you were awesome or when you was in your mess? He gave himself for you while you was in your mess. What's that say about God's love for you? It's unconditional. And listen to me, there's nothing more satisfying and attracting than somebody who loves you in your mess. Y'all see the preacher Blake. Y'all see Sunday morning Blake. I got my boots on, my jeans, and a decent shirt, my nice haircut. I look pretty good this morning, don't I? You ask my wife, because she sees the moments of me where grace needs to kick in. She sees me in my mess. She sees me where if you was to tell stories about my life, I would run out of here embarrassed. And in them moments, she chooses to love me still. And that doesn't create in me a heart that says, I'll do what I want. That creates a heart in me that says, I love her. I want to obey her. I want to be faithful to her. And that's what grace does in your life. It produces loving obedience. Grace is enough. Grace is enough. And it never gets old. It gets sweeter and sweeter and sweeter like a fine wine. Everything else in this world comes with an expiration date. And at the core of our hearts, we have a worship problem. You don't get a choice if you're a worshiper, you're a worshiper. You get a choice what you worship. We're all worshiping something always, all the time. And we have a worship problem. Our heart is tied to this world more than we like to believe. Anybody in here like shiny things, new shiny things? Y'all line up in church. Boy, look at y'all line. Y'all like new shiny things. I got the call one late afternoon. It's my wife on the other end of the line. She was just informing me she has found a car that she wanted for the low, low, low price of $25,000. 
We could smell the smell of new leather. It's been a couple years now. It's over 100,000 miles and a crack in the windshield. And she ain't, said, she ain't said it yet, but I know what she's thinking. She's going to want another one. It does not last. How many like vacations? Any vacationers in here? Yeah, love va vacations. My wife is a dromomania. That's a real word. I Googled it yesterday. She's an addict. She's addicted to vacations. I don't know what I'm going to do this afternoon. She knows where we're going on vacation, year 2025. We went to the beach a few weeks ago, Sunday to Sunday. We left on a Sunday. We got back on a Sunday. Monday morning, she's planning a cruise in February. Give me a day to recuperate, woman. And mine might not be cars, and mine might not be vacations, but there is a worship problem in my heart where I am tied to created things that expire, but Jesus never ends. And there's a hole in your heart, a God-sized hole that only he can fill. It satisfies. Not only does it save us, not only does it sanctify us, not only does it satisfy us, see, grace sustains us. Well, how does it do that? One, he seals us. Ephesians 1.13, you're marked with a seal. Two, he keeps us. John 10, 28, no one can snatch them out of my hand. No one, no one, no one. Grace saves us, grace keeps us. He protects us. The gates of hell, the gates of hell won't prevail against his church. He provides for us. He feeds the birds. He clothes the fields. Everything we need, grace provides. Here has, is how he sustained me recently. He's given me a shadow to walk in. I didn't just get saved at the foot of the cross. I've been living in it for a while now. It's like an umbrella. I could never outrun his shadow. He follows me around. I fall down. I look up and the cross is there. I go through a storm. I look up and the cross is there. It's the biggest shadow in the world. It's a shadow for me to walk in. It's a flowing fountain for me to wash in. How precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I needed grace this week. I needed grace this week. I needed every second of the day. But sometimes God says, I give you more grace. I needed more grace this week. And I found it. It's like a flowing fountain. You can't turn off. You cannot stop. Grace is covering sin in your life that you don't even know about. It's a love to rest in. When I hate myself the worst, Jesus loves me the most. He's given me a family to do life with. I love my people. I love my people. I love my connect group. I love seeing grace in their life and it encourages grace in my life. He's kept me. He's kept me. He sustains me. Listen to me. He is not a used car salesman. God does not trade you in when you've messed up and look for a better version. It's not how it works. It saves. It keeps it sustains. What would change in your life if you knew that this was true? I tell you one thing it would change. It would cause you to do life with Jesus. You would absolutely love Jesus. And you would do life with Jesus because you can't do life for Jesus if you're not doing life with Jesus. You would do life with Jesus. You'd say with Paul in second, I mean Galatians 2, you'd say, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me and the life I now live in the body. I live in faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Climbing ladders won't get you to heaven. Not only that, 
But listen to me, grace is the foundation you live life out of. Not only that, but number three, grace compels you to live life sent. To live a sent life. To not be focused inward, but to be focused outward. Verse 14, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. I said to Peter in front of them all, you're a Jew, you live like a Gentile and act like a Jew. How is it that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Peter was focused on customs. Peter's focused on customs. Peter's focused on traditions. Peter's focused on worldly things and the marks of men instead of the grace and gospel he's called to. One of the biggest ways we live out of the truth of the gospel today is not being obedient to the mission God's called us to because when you experience the gospel, you become like the gospel and you wanna live out in the world to play. Listen, the gospel was sent, you know, the gospel was sent, you know, John 3, 16, God so loved the world, he gave, he gave, he sent, he sent, he sent his one and only son. And when you receive it, you want others to have it. It's like a tornado that sucks you in and throws you out back into the world. Five minutes after I got saved, God put a bird on my heart for my, my wife a burden on my heart for my kids, a burden on my heart for my family, my brother, my parents, and everybody I knew. I wanted them to have what I had. I've seen it over and over. People get saved at all they get up and they want to tell the world because grace does a work in your life and it compels you to live a sent life. Listen to me. A, God designed it. He designed it this way. It's always been the plan. Making disciples is not a New Testament teach, teaching. You hear what I said? It's not a New Testament teaching. Not only making disciples is a Bible teaching. God has always used people, redeemed people to reach people. This is God's plan for his people. We see it in the Garden of Eden. Be fruitful and multiply. That has a whole lot to do more with just having kids. We see it in the call of Abraham. Abraham lived sin. Go to a land I'll show you. And Abraham, you'll be a blessing. You'll be a blessing to the people. You'll be a blessing. We see it in the call of Moses. I am sending you. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, Israelites, out of Egypt. We see it in the Ten Commandments. You can pull them down two words. Love God. Love others. Make disciples. This is God's plan for his church. His A plan to reach the world is the local church, listen to me, to be image bearers, to represent God in the world that you live in, where you work, where you play, where you live, to represent God in heaven here on earth. We'd be a city on a hill, lights in the dark, salt on the earth. What's amazing to me, in the Old Testament, there was a holy of holies in the temple. It's a holy of holies. God would shine his glory down there to be with his people. That's amazing. What's more amazing than that is God took his glory and wrapped flesh around it and stuck it in a manger and named him Jesus. What's more amazing than that is then Jesus says, I'm gonna leave and send the Holy Spirit. Now God puts his glory and his glory lives in you. His glory lives in you to be image bearers, to be hope carriers. Romans 10, 13 through 15 says, listen, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on they, who they have not believed in? And how can they believe in one whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? 
How beautiful are the feet who bring good news. What a privilege it is that God would use me, that God would use you to be a part of his mission the way he designed it. You know, if the president, no matter if you like him or not, no matter who it is, if he called you and said, hey, I want you on my team. I want you. I need you. We're going to change the world. You ain't got to know anything. I'll give you everything you need when you get here. You get a random phone call from the White House. Whether you like it or not, you're going to say, man, that's a privilege. That's an honor that he would use me, that he would want you. I didn't get a call from the White House. I got a call from God's house. And listen to me, he wants to use me and use you in the field to play everywhere you go. It's the mission of the church. You say, I want to see God move, Blake. I want to see God move. I want to see him move in my city. I want to see him move in my life. I want to see God move in my family. You say, Blake, I want to see God move. No, you don't. If you want to see God move, then why aren't you moving? Because God lives in you. Sometimes we want to see God move in the White House when we won't even move for God in our own house. We don't need a pep rally on Sundays. We need to be obedient to what God's already called us to. Don't look for a call to something. If God's already given us a command for something, go make disciples. It's God's plan and it's Satan's plot to get you off the mission and get you focused on methods and traditions. Satan will do anything to get you off the mission of God and He'll use religion to do it. Grace sins. God designed it. B, Jesus commissioned it. First words are important. You want to leave a good impression. It's in the middle of the day. Peter's beside the shore. He's washing his nets. He's been fishing all night long. Jesus walks up, and Jesus got the nerve. Let's go fishing. Peter said, oh, oh, there ain't no fish out there. I've been fishing all night. Jesus says, yeah, get in the boat. We're going fishing. He goes out. He said, throw it on the right side of the boat. He throws his nets on the right side. They begin to tighten. They begin to sag. The boat begins to sag in the water, and they pulled up so much fish that the boat could not hold them all. And then in that moment, that's when Peter knew who was in front of him. He said, depart from me, I'm a sinner. And Jesus' first words, his first words, follow me, I'll make you a fisher of men. And to follow Jesus is to fish for Jesus. First words, not just first words, last words are important. I've seen a few people pass away on their deathbed. And I promise you, last words are important. Nobody just randomly says stuff. It's a big deal. It's been three years. He's been walking with his disciples. He's been training Peter how to fish. He's been showing them how to do life together, showing them how to make disciples. It comes down to this. Jesus is about to leave. He says this. He says, go make disciples. Peter, it's time to fish. Go make disciples. God designed it. Jesus commissioned it. And see, the Spirit empowers it. I know what you're thinking. Blake, I don't know how to make disciples. Blake, I don't know how to have gospel conversations. Blake, I don't have the courage, the boldness. I'm not a theologian. I don't know how to make disciples good because if you did, you wouldn't need God. He told disciples, go make disciples. And then he said, whoa, 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 don't go yet. 
Wait on the Holy Spirit. You're going to need something. You're going to need something. I want you to wait on the Spirit and listen to me. The Spirit in you is what goes through you and makes disciples. Listen to me. You want me to tell you who God uses to make disciples? You. You, you, you. God designed it. God commissioned it. And then God carries it out, but he uses you to do so. Here's a quote by J.D. Greer. No plagiarism here. God's plan to make disciples was never by platforming a few hyper-anointed mega-pastors with fiery sermons. God's plan to make disciples has always been through ordinary people who carry the gospel everywhere they go. You, the best thing about heaven lives in you. The best news in the world lives in you. So when people look at you, do they see Jesus Christ? God designed it. Jesus commissioned it. The Spirit empowers it. D, lives depend on it. This is the mission of grace. Grace has a name. His name is Jesus. And Jesus has a mission, the mission of Jesus. And his mission becomes a priority in our life because it wouldn't matter if Jesus died a thousand times, if nobody ever heard about it. Are you living on mission for God right now? And I know it takes sacrifice, but sacrifice gives birth to beauty. Everything worth something takes sacrifice. I'll never forget when my, daughter, my, my wife had my daughter, Jolie. Everyone says, birth is so beautiful. No, it ain't. I was in the room. I about passed out. She's like, I think I'm going to do it natural. Five minutes later, bring me the needle. She's, it's a mess. It's painful. But then I held that baby to my chest. Then I heard her heartbeat. Then I held her in my hand. And it was worth it. And it was worth it. And it was worth it. And souls are on the line here. And souls are on the line here. And souls are on the line here. Lives depend on it. Truth number four. Jesus desires, deserves, and demands first place in your life. Look at me in verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. I no longer live. I no longer live. Who lives? Christ lives. Where's he live? In me. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. Jesus is supreme. Nothing above him. Nothing beyond him. And if he's supreme and he lives in me, he'll be supreme in my life. Here's what we need. A, followers, not fans. Jesus had some fans, didn't he? That's why I love Jesus. He always says some gangster stuff sometimes. He says stuff. I'm like, dang, did he just say that? One dude come up to Jesus like, I'll follow you wherever you want, wherever you go. He looked, Jesus was like, yeah, no, you're not. You're, actually, no, you're not. Birds have nests, foxes have holes. There's no holiday in on this road. You're probably not going to follow me. I'm like, dang. One's like, let me bury my father. Let me, let me bury my, nah, you know, let the bed bury the dead. If you want to wait to a better season, probably ain't going to follow me. Every time they got to follow him, they had like 100 people, 1,000 people follow him. Disciples were pumped. They're like, whoa, we're taking over. Everything's going good. And Jesus turns around and messes it up. He turns around and says, if you don't drink my blood and eat my flesh, you'll have no part of me. All of them run. He looks at Peter. He says, you're going to go away also? Are you going to go away also? Peter says, Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words to eternal life. If not Jesus, then Who? Who else? 
If not the cross, then where? Where else? If not grace, then what? What else? Fans love Jesus as long as things go well for them. They don't really love Jesus as much as they love themselves. But followers, they'll follow Jesus even if things don't go well for them. It's okay because Jesus is enough for them. B, Jesus is one and only, not one of many. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Story has it in the early church history. Christianity was flourishing. They've been getting persecuted for a long time, and it's flourishing. Finally, the Roman Empire decided, instead of causing havoc among the Christians, I'm going to pursue peace with them. He sent a letter to some of the Christians and said, we will allow you to put a statue of Jesus in the Parthenon with all the other gods. You can have your own man in there. You can go in there where everyone else worships their God. You can worship Jesus. We'll let you put a statue of Jesus in the Parthenon. They, you would think they'd be fired up. No more persecution. They write a letter back and they say, you will absolutely not put a statue of Jesus in the Parthenon. If you put a statue of Jesus in the Parthenon, we will tear it down. Because Jesus ain't the one of many. Jesus is the one and only. There's a caption on outside that parking lot that says, Caesar is king. And they said, that's the only position that Jesus is going to have in anybody's life because he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. He didn't come to take a side. Jesus came to take over. And there's a doggone powerful theologian by the name of Ricky Bobby who says, if you're not first, you're last. And listen to me, Jesus may be the God of second chances, but he will not be the God of second place. What place has Jesus has in your life? You say, Jesus has a place in my life. Jesus don't want a place in your life. Jesus has a big place in my life. He don't want a big place in your life. Jesus desires, deserves, and demands preeminence in your life. Can you imagine, fellas, if you looked at your wife and you said, baby, on my list of women, I just want you to know you're at the top. You might get punched in the face because your wife don't want to be on a list of women. She wants to be the one and only. And Jesus don't want to be on a list. He wants to be the paper you write everything else on top of. He is the one and only. We see the invasion of grace and we don't like personal space being invaded. We say things like, hey, come on in, make yourself at home. But you don't mean it. The guy and his wife comes to my house. Hey, y'all come on in and make yourself at home. But then I see him in my closet. Hey, bro, that's my tie. Then his, his wife's downstairs at my, my wife's makeup table, putting on my wife's makeup. Hey, girl, that's, that's my wife's. You can make yourself at home as long as you stay in the right place. But Jesus didn't come to take a place. He came to take over. Your personal life, he wants that. Your family life, he wants that. Your work life, he wants that. Your social life, he wants that. Your dating life, he wants that. Your single life, he wants that. Your finances, he wants that. Your calendar, he don't want to be on it. He wants to be over it. Let me ask you, is he first? Where is Christ not first in your life? Jesus is our prized possession, not a ticket to heaven. He's not a ticket. He's not better safe than sorry. He's just better. He's just better, period. Listen to me. When you have too much weight on a bridge, you have a bridge quake. You put too much weight on a sheet of ice, you have an ice quake. When the weight of Jesus' forgiveness and love comes into your life, you have a life quake. And it becomes prized possession. He's treasure, he's treasure, he's treasure. The reason Jesus ain't first in some of our lives is because we don't think he's better. 
We buy into this lie that something in the world can satisfy us better, and that's called a thirst trap. It does not satisfy the woman at the well. Anyone who drinks of this water is going to thirst again. Whoever drinks the water I give him will be a spring of water flowing up in eternal life. When I got saved about eight years ago, people said, Blake's on that Jesus kick. He'll be back. Just give him a little while. I've seen this before. People get on fire for Jesus. He'll be back. He just got on his little Jesus kick. Let me be clear. I did not get on a Jesus kick. I got on that grace train. I got hit by the train of grace, and I ain't never been the same since because you don't get hit by a train and get up and not different, and you don't get hit by the love of God and not walk away changed. I'm changed. I'm changed. I'm changed. And I tell you like Paul, I count everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Grace has a name. His name is Jesus. Where is he not first in your life? right now. And lastly, real quick, truth number five, grace changes everything. Here's what grace has done in my life. Hey, it meets us where we are. When I look in the Bible, we see brokenness and then there's Jesus. He met Moses in a bush. He met Peter on a boat. He met a woman at a well. He met Lazarus in the grave. He met Thomas in his doubt. Here's what grace has done for me. It met me in 2013 on my front porch. I was a mess. I was a mess. And he picked me up and he saved my life. He met me in 2018. I was on my work truck, scared to death. I got a call to go into the ministry. I didn't want to go into the ministry. I was scared for my life, but here I am. He met me in my living room last week. I needed grace last week, and I found it. Grace has a name. His name is Jesus. Where did grace meet you at? Where do you need Jesus to meet you at right now? No place he can't go. No space he can't fill. No shadow he can't light up. He's not bound by walls made with human hands. Jesus ain't bound by anything. B, it gives us all we need. When you look in the Bible, grace is all we need. You can't add to the gospel. You ask, you ask David if grace is all you need. You ask Peter if grace is all you need. You ask, you ask Paul if grace is all you need. You need saving, there's saving grace. You need forgiving, there's forgiving grace. You need restoring, restoring grace. You need healing, healing grace. You need carrying, there's carrying grace. It drives obedience. It drives repentance. It drives good works. It gives you all you need for what you need. When I look back in my life, grace is all I need. It changed my heart and threw up everywhere in my life. It saved me, changed me, kept me, sent me. Grace picked me up over and over again. Can I get a witness in this place? Is grace all you need? What are you trying to fix that only grace can? You're not fixing your kids. You're not fixing your spouse. They need an encounter with grace. And grace has a name. His name is Jesus. Here's my question. See, what are you waiting on? What is it that you're waiting on? Some of you, you're waiting on something and it's not Jesus. Jesus isn't waiting on something. Jesus is calling you into something. 
Jesus ain't waiting for you to change. Jesus is calling you to him so he can change you. There's no better season to follow Jesus. If his pleasures you're holding on to, Jesus is better. If his pride that you're holding on to, swallow it because nobody walks through the narrow gate with a strut. But we all come broken and wounded. The gospel humbles us and heals us. Here's the invitation. Get in here. Get your mess and get in here. Oh, you're on pain pills. Get in here. Alcohol is you're addicted to. Get in here. Got some lust problems going on. Get in here. Get your baggage and get in here because where sin abounds, grace abounds. And then some of you, you've just forgotten grace. There's many times in my life where God says, I want you to go back to that front porch. And I'll go back there. I'll drive by. That's where I brought you from. That's where I brought you from. That's where I brought you from. And some of you have forgotten what God and grace has done in your life. And he sent me to remind you it's all about Jesus. Climbing ladders don't save you. Climbing ladders won't keep you. Get your eyes off yourself and get them on Jesus. Here's the invitation. Get in here. Get in here. Get in here. And so today, we don't walk away from a pep rally. We draw a line in the sand and we step into grace. Grace has a name. His name is Jesus. Let's pray. God, we love you. God, we thank you for your grace. God, we thank you for your love and your mercy. We thank you for your son. God, he's enough. He's enough. He's enough. And I pray you just move in this place. And for the ones that do not have a relationship with you, God, I pray they give their life to Jesus this morning. God, I pray they give their life to Jesus this morning. They stop holding on to the world and they give their life to you. And for the ones in here that's forgotten what you've done in their life, I pray you'd remind them. And God, you'd help us to live a life where you're number one and we'd live sent for your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray, amen.